Hey guys, this is Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast feed, Ringer University, where Ben Glicksman and I will be hosting a Tuesday college football show, and Chris Vernon, the newest member of the Ringer family, will be hosting a Friday gambling preview. We're going to recap the biggest action, preview the most compelling games to come, and talk about all things college football. Make sure to subscribe now to Ringer University on iTunes or wherever else you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh and I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com, joined as always by my fellow staff writer for The Ringer, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. Hello. I have another prediction I want you to make. All right, go ahead. Over under 13 and a third innings pitch for Clayton Kershaw on the NLCS. <laughs> I'll take over. Really? That's... I think, yeah, I'll take over. I'll okay. say he, he gets two starts. He goes deep in the games, and that might do it right there. But uh, as we know, he might just pitch in, in every single game. That's true. I mean, it's predicated on the Dodgers almost certainly winning two games in this series. So yes. I, was, I thought I had I had set that line too high, but I'm relieved to, <laughs> to hear you validating that decision. Yeah, I'm not going to sell Clayton Kershaw short right now. We're podcasting on one day's rest from the spectacle that we witnessed on Thursday night. I was trying to write a story that was not related to Game 5, and so I was kind of half paying attention to the game for the first half or so, and then <laughs> <laughs> right about the seventh inning, which was... I don't know, three hours into the game, it became the kind of game that you can no longer have pay attention to. <laughs> and so submitting my story just had to wait for the thrilling conclusion. Yeah, that happened to me on Monday night, which was the first game in San Francisco. I yeah. was writing and then just couldn't write until the game was right. over and filed at four o'clock in the morning. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's I'm I'm feeling Kenley Jansen right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean that game was exciting in all the conventional ways that baseball tends to be exciting, but it was also exciting in a way that baseball has a hard time being typically. I, I mean the knock against baseball as a spectator experience or as a source of excitement or even as a product that can be marketed is that you don't get to give the ball to your best pitcher. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it if it works out that way, great. But I mean, case in point, the Nationals with one out left in their season had to send up Wilmer Defoe because that's how baseball works. That's not who you want up in that situation. It's not your best hitter, but there's a batting order and you can pinch hit, but otherwise you you can't just keep sending your best players up. You can't just pass the ball to your best shooter in the last play of the game. You can't give the ball to your quarterback in every play and have him pass to your best receiver. You just can't do that. There are limits to players. There are limits to how they can be used. And last night, the Dodgers just said screw you to those limits. And Kenley Jensen threw 20 more pitches than he's ever thrown in a game before. And then Clayton Kershaw came in and, and one day's rest. So, you know, that was just a very unbaseball ending. And I loved it. It had, yeah, it had some for everybody. It had tactical intrigue. It had, I mean, it was complete white knuckle spectator experience from probably the Jock Peterson home run yeah. straight until the end, if not earlier. And uh, yeah. it had heroism. It had men pushing themselves beyond their, their physical limit. It was, uh, it was like a Hemingway novel. <laughs> yeah, I had no rooting interest in the series, at least as far as the teams went, but I was sitting there just sick. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. even without really rooting for a team, I, I guess I was rooting for Clayton Kershaw in that I'm, I'm tired of the Kershaw can't pitch in the postseason narrative, and I'd like to see the best pitcher in baseball be the best pitcher in baseball in October. And we talked about this last time, and I wrote about it after his Game 4 performance, and there were all the questions about, should you use Clayton Kershaw in Game 4 or Game 5? And the answer was both. So Yeah. And it, I was rooting for that, too. But I was also rooting for Scherzer to, to pitch well and Harper yeah, to finally I mean, get to great. the second round. Like, there was mm -hmm. there was no way you could have gone wrong with the, the way that ended. I didn't have any problem with, you know, just because Dave Roberts is going to get the headlines. I don't think Dusty Baker managed himself out of a, a victory there. I think it just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was actually, I mean, there were a couple questionable moves in the last couple of games of the series, but at least early on, I thought Baker was doing a, yeah. a really good job of getting his starters out early and really riding those left-handed relievers he had against the Dodgers and their perceived weakness against lefties. So 
I thought he uh, managed differently than the old school dusty reputation, at least early on. So the Nationals played a heck of a series, too. Yeah, it's rough. I mean, you got to someone's got to lose. God, I just (laughs) fucking hate myself for saying that right now. Can't argue with that analysis. All right, let's so, move on. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so later on in this episode, we are going to do a, a little championship series setup. We will talk about the NLCS and the ALCS. But before that, as a segue, Harold Reynolds, after last night's game, said, I thought this game was managed in so many moves. And uh, you can't really argue He's with that. Absolutely right. That game was managed <laughs> to within an inch of its life. It certainly was. I tweeted that comment out and that elicited a bunch of Harold Reynolds complaints. And that leads us to our first guest, who is not Harold Reynolds, but is a playoff broadcaster and thus is accustomed to criticism. This time of year, everyone's favorite sport is critiquing managerial moves, but everyone's second favorite sport is probably critiquing broadcasters. And judging by the people I follow on Twitter and maybe who follow me, everyone hates every broadcaster at this time of year, except that when someone comes complains about broadcasters, someone will inevitably say, oh, well, Dan Shulman's pretty good. And everyone will say, oh, yeah, I like Dan Shulman. And then someone will say, oh, well, Boog is really good, too. And everyone will say, oh, yeah, Boog is really good, too. So there are at least two that I think there's a consensus that everyone likes. And we are talking to one of them right now. Boog is joining us. Hey, Boog. <laughs> What's up, guys? <laughs> so uh, people have just heard you call the ALDS. You are getting ready to call the ALCS. That will be your uh, season-ending series. So we talked last week to a, a Royals advanced scout, and he kind of gave us the skinny on how teams prep for their playoff opponents and just how much work they do to prepare for these series. So is it similar for broadcasters? Do you do much more work for this sort of series than you would do for you know a regular game during the regular season? I don't know about much more work. I think it, it for me, it's it's because you have some space between the end of the season and the playoffs. You probably dig in a, a little bit more. But you know, by this time of the year, you have a handle on on most of the elite teams. So you know, you, I, I'm I'm looking for good information and good stories always, whether it's the middle of the season or or the end of the season. So you know, and it's just it's a it's a fun time of year. And you know, as a broadcaster, one of the things that's great is you know the atmosphere in cleveland the first two games was phenomenal the atmosphere in toronto for the wild card game was amazing so you know you look forward to that when the crowd gives you that that jolt of energy and is it different preparing you know if you're just going in for uh one game for espn during the regular season versus you might have to talk about these teams for seven you know seven straight games do you find yourself pacing yourself for interesting tidbits or anecdotes or do you just sort of play it by ear no, I mean I don't I don't pace I, I you know, I'm I'm definitely in on using my good stuff multiple times. If it's if it's a good piece of information, it's a good piece of information. If there's a you know, a good story, you know, I, I got a story the other day, Jose Ramirez, you know, he dyed his hair blonde and to start the second half he called his mom and said, I'm gonna dye my hair again and she said, Okay, that's fine. What color are you gonna dye it? And he said, Green. She's like, green? (laughs) And she goes, no, you can't dye it green. And he thought she was going to say, because that would look awful. And she goes, you can't dye it green. They already have T-shirts of you with your hair blonde. (laughs) And he goes, oh, yeah, okay, well, good point. I won't then. But, like, it's a good little story. And, like, yeah, if this series goes six games uh, if i gave you my best guess i'll probably tell that story multiple times so you're not saving your best story for a save situation essentially that is correct you're not even <laughs> saving it for the broadcast this will go that's, up before, before I, already, I, I already used it in the division series <laughs> <laughs> and so what is your information gathering method obviously you are someone who is very familiar with stats and likes to sprinkle in stats and that's why everyone who follows me on twitter likes you so much or one of the reasons but right. are you looking at stats and leaderboards and how are you getting those? How are you collecting those? And how are you getting the personal anecdotes? Are you, you know, working your your contacts? Are you hanging out on the field before the game? Take us through your your preparation. So start with the storylines. You know, you just you talk to guys. I mean, one of the one of the things if you just have conversation, there are times when I will read stuff and then I will go and ask to get the follow up so that 
uh, get the full story from Mike Napoli on how Party at Napoli started, and then you know that he had this Party at Napoli stickers on the knob of his bat, and then MLB told him to took him take him off. But you, you read something, you go and follow it up. But other times, man, you just sit there and just have a conversation and and just ask guys stuff, or you're listening. I mean, so. Yeah, Jason Kipnis, you know, you grew up in Chicago. Were you a fan of either team? You know, I didn't I didn't have a team like, okay, well, who's your guy? Griffey, you know, and then he starts to talk to me about Griffey. So there's you just try and get in there, you know, also, you know, Mark Trumbo at one point, you start to read about, you know, that he's cognizant of launch angles and yeah, I'm getting up in there before a Red Sox game and asking him, "All right, so tell me about launch angle. You have to change your swing path. What do you What are you thinking? I, you know, do you know what it feels like to hit the ball to, you know, at, at a launch angle at 25 percent? Blah blah blah. So or tw- you know, so 25 degrees. So like, it, it's uh, if you just get in there and start having conversations, you're usually gonna gonna find. A couple of good, just, yeah, man, just a couple of good humanizing nuggets, just stuff that you'll find. Um, and it's, yeah, that that's so much fun. I love that part, finding things, you know, to, to humanize guys just in a, in a big, big way. Like, I'll tell you this. So another one is Heidi Watney was down on the field when Ortiz was taking BP before game three and then tweeted this out. And I'm going to ask Kipnis about this on Friday. And obviously David Ortiz has is someone who doesn't take himself too seriously, but Kipnis, when Ortiz was finishing his round, jokingly said to him, I just watched you take the last batting practice of your career. (laughs) And that's funny. Um, As far as the numbers, you know, look, the the three of us, I would say numbers wise, view the game through a, 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 you know, a similar prism, Oh, gosh, I don't think it's that hard, man. I just, I don't want, I'm not, I feel like I have a good handle on what's relevant. And I just, Mm -hmm. I don't want to deceive so that I I don't, like if this, if X player had a good year, I'm going to lean on OBP and slugging and not on RBIs because I don't want to, to mislead and make it seem like they had a good year because they had a lot of RBIs or because they had a lot of wins. So like, I really try to eliminate noise, you know, and then you're just, you're looking for extremes. You're looking for, you know, Marco Estrada throws his change up more than any qualified starter and a, a, a lot of different things in terms of batting average allowed on balls in play, stuff like that. There's, I mean, I, I'll go through Inside Edge, fan graphs, BP. I'll get it wherever wherever I can get it. And I'm always looking for a good note that kind of corroborates something that somebody is eyeballing with some piece of data. That's got to be easier as a play-by-play guy because, you know, certain, certain color commentators have just sort of been out of the game for a long time or resting on their reputation as players. But you've had a, a pretty solid collection of, of color analysts like it's not like i remember uh there was a color analyst whose name rhymes with mike schmidt who is just spewing absolute bullshit on a a broadcast and like you know that doesn't happen to you as much you know how much of that is your relationship with your your color analysts or you know sort of approaching the game together well i mean first thing mike schmidt's my favorite player of all time so we're already blood feuding i'm just gonna tell <laughs> okay. you that right now and <laughs> Are you from Houston? No, I'm from Philadelphia. All right. I don't even know where to go with that then. Anyway, (laughs) um, I'm lucky because on the radio, I work with Chris Singleton, and Chris Chris certainly has enough of a handle on sabermetric concepts and value. You know, like, it's funny, but at this point, I mean, he he will on the air refer to himself as hacktastic when he played. So... (laughs) He gets it, and we're able to delve into stuff. And then Rick Sutcliffe on TV isn't as inclined in that direction, but he respects me, and we have a really good relationship, and he knows how hard I work at trying to understand stuff, so he listens, and he's willing. He he doesn't just tune out because of it. And I have Doug Glanville with me, so I think on both TV and radio, I'm pretty lucky that I can get into topics and have you know the color guys jump in you know it's it's subtle but we were talking uh 
I mean, what what's the hot topic right now? You know, the bullpen usage and loving the way Terry Francona managed game one, hating the way Buck Showalter did in the playoffs. But I'd also say, and I, you know, I broached this one, I think you see, you know, on the other side it happened a lot. And I'm not saying this is why they lost, but like you get down two nothing and you're the Red Sox, like you can't let them score again. So like Drew Pomerantz, okay, Joe Kelly, eh. And eventually he got to Uihara and and Kimbrell. But I still remember like game six of the 2013 World Series and Waka starts getting hit around and they're losing. And Mike Matheny brings in Lance Lynn because he needs length. And it's like, no, like they can't <laughs> score anymore. Like you, you like this is your season's going to end. And so and those types of concepts, like Singy especially, is is totally in on and it's cool when you're talking about someone who played who has a feel for yeah that numbers oriented perspective and is just totally down with yeah that makes sense i would i would actually push back against the idea that you know you're a good broadcaster just because you bring in these sabermetric concepts i think more than that just as a viewer i want like my ideal is for a booth to sound like my slightly more knowledgeable friends talking to me about the game and you you know you've got that rapport with your your various uh, analysts who you've been working with for years but you know there was a, a moment where there's this guy that you didn't know very well sitting in a chair and you got to talk to talk to him about baseball for four hours so i guess what i'm asking is how do i get ben to like me more <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing though man legit i you know it's it's uh you know you got to come across as as comfortable i guess hopefully likable but I, like i want it to be fun so you know on tv you have the benefit of you can do some visual stuff as well but man you try not to take yourself too seriously I certainly like to think that whether it's TV or radio, what's coming through is how much I'm enjoying it. I mean, because I really do. I, I, you know, look, I mean, I'm 46 and I can tell you, I like this sport as much as I did when I was six. I just love it. I just do. And tomorrow night will be a blast. So, and as far as, you know, being, yeah, I think being, being likable or, or having just a, easy way about you is uh you know it's pretty critical I, I look i i think with vin scully retiring it it's something that you know as a play-by-play guy i've gotten asked about a lot but you know over the years people ask you what is your style i think every single one of us dreams of jumping into the booth and being scully and being able to write verbal poetry um have a thesaurus like vocabulary and then we all realize that we can't. And the one thing that Vin said that Red Barber told him, Vin doesn't listen to other broadcasters. And Red's advice to him was, you bring something that no one else brings to a broadcast. You. And mm-hmm. if I could say anything that I like about the way I do a game, having nothing to do with the numbers, is if you want to know what I'm like, like you want to know what I'm like, I think if you listen to me and you watch me, you get an idea of what I'm like. I don't think you're, I think that you're getting a pretty authentic version of me. And that just takes like reps and comfort. And, but I think that by and large, the stuff that I say on the air is stuff that you would find me saying off the air as well, only with a, probably a few more F bombs. <laughs> Which you can feel free to use on this podcast if you like. I will. Uh-huh. I'll make sure I will. <laughs> so, to what extent do you see your role as just, you know, passing along information? This is what's happening in the game. And to what extent do you see it as doing what everyone else at home is doing and trying to think along with the manager and say, well, you know, how could he not have someone up right now? How, how could he go with this guy instead of that guy first guessing and second guessing how how big a part of that is your broadcast would you say well first thing is that again it depends on the medium on radio my number one thing is i have to document what's happening i have to be able to describe and that that is my number one responsibility so you know, when there's a ground ball hit between Napoli and Kipnis, I want to try and give you everything. So I want to tell you, you know, pull to the right side, Kipnis to his left, reaches down, picks it up, flips to first. Like, I want you to see it. And that that is 
first and foremost what I have to bring. On TV, because you can see it, there's more latitude to get into stuff. I don't think the game is entirely about... I think there's good information. I don't think it's always about, you know, managerial moves or strategy at times... Yeah, there just there can be a lot of things. It's funny, like Fangraphs wrote about something the other day that I had already mentioned in the broadcast, and that is how the Indians, as a lineup and as an organization, they've pretty consistently been intent on constructing teams that are going to have a platoon advantage. Yeah. Um, and so we just talk about that, and they got three switch, you know, three main guys in their lineup that are switch hitters and that are good switch hitters talk about the strengths and weaknesses of different players. So, yeah, I mean, there's managerial stuff, but there's a, I don't know, there's a ton of different things you're trying to, you're trying to do. You're trying to, you know, inform, you're trying to come up with interesting stuff. Baseball gives you the opportunity to sort of, you know, chase the rabbit a little bit just because there's so much dead air, you know, and, and you've broadcasted other sports. How do you, manage to, to fill that airtime in baseball that you might not have in, in basketball or you might have to make in, in basketball. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess if I were to really call myself out, like, I'm a gas bag. I mean, like we all, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I, I'm definitely, I got a little bit of, uh, what's what's John Candy's character in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Gil? When he, you know, he pulls the cord, you know, it's like you're like one of those dolls. You pull the cord and just, keep talking i mean i got some of that man i i just but i i've been doing it so long i love it i just i enjoy talking about it so there's so many routes to go down whether it is really enlightening informationally whether it's having some fun whether it's humanizing a player with a story i love the space i'm totally comfortable with the space i feel like i have pretty good handle on the info whereas college basketball is the other main thing that i do there's just not space you could have the best story on the planet and you know unless the guy gets to the line and gives you the opportunity to tell it a lot of times you don't have the opportunity to tell it so i i i I think baseball is the ultimate broadcaster sport i love the space and I, i think the other part of it as well is I like to analyze a little bit, and I appreciate you know the guys that I work with on both radio and TV. Let me do it some. If they if if they tug on something that I don't agree with, yeah, I'll say it. I'll say it, and I like that. And do you find Chris Sing- you know Chris Singleton's hosting baseball tonight and stuff? Do you find that he's tugging back a little bit? That you gotta watch out for yourself, make sure he doesn't uh, you know, step into the the play by play role at all. <laughs> I think he's done it. He did it when he was the uh, when he was with the White Sox. He did play by play. So yeah, I mean he he definitely uh, he definitely could like stick something to my drink and just do the whole broadcast for sure. <laughs> So what do you think of the widespread October broadcaster backlash? Is it just a, an inevitable side effect of going from your local team that you're with every day during the regular season and, you know, they know the team really well and you're used to them and maybe you don't mind their flaws as much and, and then suddenly you are listening to this national person, you know, this kind of carpetbagger who just came in for, for the playoffs and hasn't been there all year and maybe you aren't as used to their foibles or their style is that the root of it or do you think it's that you know maybe the the october audience is a little different maybe it's bigger and broader and there are some things you might say in a playoff broadcast that you might not say on a local broadcast or people people just like to complain and and don't realize how hard it is to talk into a mic for three or four hours you literally just answered like every answer (laughs) you asked the question and gave all of my answers i am Angry that you have invited me on your show and then called me a carpetbagger. Um, I, okay, I, look, I'll be grumpy guy. Yeah, I think that they're used to the sound of their own guys is the first uh-huh. thing. Like, I think that national broadcaster people like to just pick on the broadcasters. It's just there's just something about it. You know, so like the amount of stuff that you get either tweeted at you or whatever that like I'm rooting against your team. Really? <laughs> That's really? the one I don't I'm, get. I'm rooting against... Yeah, but it's just emotional. That's all it is. Then the other thing that I would say is this. And I, like, okay, I'll be the asshole. I'm, I'm fine. Look, even really smart guys, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it, man, there are a lot of people that don't understand what our jobs are. They don't. 
Like they don't fundamentally understand what our jobs are. And I would, I was on with Jonah Kerry recently. I would volunteer to you that if you took the entire audience, I think that I don't think that as much as 60% of the audience could explain the difference between a play-by-play guy and an analyst. I, mm. I firmly believe that. And if that's the case, what the fuck are you talking about? How <laughs> are you is. possibly going to critique <laughs> what is happening on the air when you don't even fundamentally understand what the job is for each guy? I feel better now. Um, no, <laughs> seriously. I, look, I, I think people like to complain. They like hearing their own guys they're emotional about it, so they're going to they're usually going to hear every compliment about their team as neutral and every negative as really negative. And I don't think that people understand that, as you said at the end, that at times, man, when you got a you're on live for three straight hours, it's it's really hard to say to talk and not misspeak. I, I said this one before. Like if I'm I'm doing a game with Mike Trout, and I call him Steve Trout or Mark Trout. Like, do you really fucking think I don't know his name is Mike Trout? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, it, it, so I get it, and I'm, and then I'll also say I understand some of the beefs, I, it's, whether it's mistakes, etc. But I, I do think that just kind of picking on the broadcasters is just a thing. People are, people are, I would say, at a basic level, just aggravated by the broadcasters and i also think that the other point that you made was the one that i was going to bring up we like to complain man like we're (laughs) really good at complaining we're not so nuts about trying to do anything about fixing the things we're complaining about but we can complain we're really good at complaining so (laughs) i'll do it to you this way i like if And back to my original point, specifically about what I do. If you were to ask the average person, what do you like about this play-by-play guy, and you are not allowed to mention that you like his voice, I don't (laughs) think you get very many good or interesting or thoughtful answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. So you're going to get, in the at some point in the next uh, week or two, you're going to get a chance to deliver the either the the blue jays or the uh or the indians win the pennant you're going to be the guy to to deliver that line i am going to i'm actually going to fly one of those two teams right to the world series that's correct yeah (laughs) so you know there that is one of those big iconic moments where you're gonna have a you know big fat fastball over the middle and you know, do you have do you like think about what you're going to say in big moments like that or do you just sort of wing it? I guess sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I think that I'm most intent on capturing just the excitement and the energy and not as intent on, you know, trying to register the clever clip that will be played for the next 50 years. I'm trying to think of some of the, you know, the ones Last year, you know, the like, you know, when the Mets, when the Mets uh, swept the Cubs, you know, I think I said something about, you know, the Mets steamrolled the Cubs and they're onto the world's. But you know, it, it was relative to what had taken place in that series. I think that it, it's this question is probably a little, a little better in this instance for Shulman in case he's got to call the Cubs because. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that if I were doing the Cubs side, I would, when it gets there, think about, you know, working in something as it relates to their history if they get through. But I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to really rehearse something or, or read something, you know, anything, anything like that. I think you're sort of sketching it out in your, in your head at times, but I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm capturing sort of the energy and the emotion of it. You know, like this is, this is exciting. This is, this is a big deal. And I don't want to try and make it sound like I'm being overly clever, I guess. And do you like the brand of baseball that we're seeing this month? We're, we're seeing tons of home runs, which of course has been happening all season. It seems more and more likely that something had to have happened to the ball. But Oh my gosh, that's one. <laughs> you Did you, Ben, didn't you do, I, I think, you know, it's funny, did, wasn't it you? You wrote an article yeah. on it, right? And it was, yeah, and, you, and basically <laughs> you, you wrote it like you're, you're this reasoned, I mean, if I remember correctly, it was basically, 
I got nothing. I think they did something to the ball. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Like you, you right. went through all these different things, and you were like, "Ah, fuck! I don't know. I think the probably the ball's juice, but I can't prove it." Like that. Right. It was great. It's like you of all people, you're sitting there. You know, they're gonna come with like hard data evidence. Yeah, I think they juiced the ball. I can't prove shit, but we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of math that preceded that statement, but the math right. uh, basically ruled out everything else, and, and until we got to the point where we had to say, "Yeah, I, I don't see what else it could be." And I've noticed lately more and more you see that sort of statement also coming yes. from players and coaches and people in the game so it's not just nerds like i had me. a scout say it to me the other day i i, I was right. in uh i was in the concierge lounge of the marriott and i and i ran into a and i ran into a scout and he dropped uh he was advancing for one of the other playoff teams and he dropped uh between us i think the ball's juice i mean and mm-hmm. that's the 98th time i've heard that this year so why right. do we care yeah. if the ball's juiced <laughs> the one aspect of it that I tug on the other side of in terms of just a fundamental principle that I, that I live by. I'm assuming that when we say the ball is juiced, that we're, we're all saying that the ball is juiced on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily, but okay. Then, then, then you stay out of this, please. (laughs) But my, but my, my thought is that if we're in on the idea that it's juiced and juiced on purpose, where I had trouble with that, Fellas, in 2016, people suck at keeping secrets. Like, I'm sorry. The <laughs> yeah. idea that some that 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 there was someone saying, "Let's do this," and they were actually able to keep it a secret. I mean, in today's world, it feels like an impossibility. That's the that's the way my brain operates. I just I'm always skeptical of the idea of there's a conspiracy and yeah they kept it a secret i I think people stink at keeping secrets and especially (laughs) something like that that's kind of scandalous but not benign but not you know like i just i don't know I, I, yeah. I feel like you know, not like they move the bases close closer together or anything like that. Like <laughs> there's not like Julian Assange would be on that shit, man. I'm saying like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, something similar happened in Japan a few years ago and, and it did come out eventually after the fact. But anyway, right. I, I if the ball's juiced, I'm, I'm happy that it's juiced because if it weren't, no one would be scoring at all <laughs> because no one can make contact anymore. That's so. Right. So anyway, we're watching this game where we're seeing more homers hit than ever before, and we're seeing bullpens pitch more than ever before and pitch better than ever before in the playoffs. So it seems like every game comes down to did the manager put the right reliever in at the right time and did the team hit enough home runs to win? And so that's kind of been the recurring storyline throughout all of these series so far. Do you like this brand of baseball? Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I like it. I don't think that, I mean, I know that it's more extreme, but it it really is like, like, this is the postseason, man. Like, I don't, home runs have always been a big part of the postseason. I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things I know I asked you for it a couple of years ago, but you did that great piece in BP that was in like the 2012 or 13 season that basically took every, every team, you know, in the wild card era, and you just split them down the middle, and you took the teams, the fifty percent of the teams that were more dependent on homers, and fifty percent right. less dependent on homers, and who saw their scoring decrease by a greater percentage in the playoffs, and it was the teams that were less dependent on homers. It's right. a weird yeah. thing to sit there and even have baseball people talk about. Yeah, you can't be too, too dependent on home runs, and it's funny to hear it come out of the mouths of people that have won championships. When their teams were hitting home runs, it, like <laughs> right, it's yeah. weird. It's like what you were there for it. What are you? <laughs> yeah, what are I you just doing. I just redid that at the Ringer in an article about the Blue Jays, and it still holds up. And yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's still the case. So I, I, I like it. I'm good with it. I mean, I, I, you know, the strikeouts are are at a high rate, but it's you know the stuff's complicated. These guys throw really hard, man, and I, I think that people are less concerned about the strikeout but yeah i i I'm, i've been good with what i've what i've watched so far i think what i've watched so far has been been fun all right and so other than jose ramirez's hair color anything in particular you're uh, looking forward to in this series or that your preparation has turned up um no i mean i i, I no real good no real good secret stuff i wouldn't say i'm 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 definitely interested again to see Terry Francona aggressively 
utilize that bullpen. And I think the other thing I feel really confident in is I, if you were to ask me, I, I lean a little bit towards the Indians, but no matter what your feeling is, game three in Toronto, the place is going to be going bananas and it's going to feel a little bit different and you're going to feel like, oh, the Blue Jays have a really good chance. So I haven't, I haven't come, come up with anything really startlingly interesting or you know i'm not i'm not prepared to reveal all my secret stuff (laughs) okay well people can listen to all the secrets when they are revealed on espn radio during this series and they can also find you on twitter at boog shambi boog thank you as always thanks so much you guys i really appreciate it all right and we will tweet at you if you mispronounce any names yeah yeah do that (laughs) All right, before we break down the ALCS and NLCS, I want to tell you about our sponsor for today. Probably the coolest sounding sponsor we've had so far, Weather Claws. Oh, look, full disclosure, I live in Manhattan. I don't have to do a lot of driving. Definitely don't do much winter driving. I live in an apartment. I don't even have to shovel. We've got plows going up and down the street. Winter is all upside for me. I get the picturesque snow without any of the suffering. But you might not be so lucky. That's why if you plan to do any driving this winter, you need Weather Claws. Weather Claws is the smartest traction system for your car this winter. It installs quickly and easily. You don't have to move your car. You don't have to remove the tires. Who knows how to do that? Okay, maybe most of you do. I don't. You can install the weather claws in under three minutes without even using a jack. They're self-tensioning, which means they conform and grip to the tire profile, grasping the tire itself and the terrain for full traction. Self-cleaning, so unlike chains or mud and snow tires, weather claws will not clog and lose traction, and it's road and vehicle friendly. So not only will it not damage your vehicle, but you can be a good citizen. You won't damage the roadways under normal operating conditions. Weatherclaws offers maximum traction on snow, snow-packed ice, loose dirt, mud, and sand. Basically all the slippery stuff. So Weatherclaws is the smartest traction system for your car this winter, and it's super easy to get. Plus, you get to brag about your Weatherclaws. Check out my Weatherclaws. What could be better than that? So to pick up your set before the worst of the winter weather sets in, go to weatherclaws.com and get 20% off using promo code MLBSHOW. That's weatherclaws.com, 20% off using the promo code MLBSHOW. That's all one word. Prep for winter like a pro with weather claws. All right, so we are back to talk about the championship series, and I guess we might as well start with the series that Boog will be calling, the ALCS, which gets started tonight, Friday night. Cleveland has home field advantage, but these are two very evenly matched teams that both swept their ALDS opponents. Do you have any insight you care to offer into this matchup? Well, I wrote a piece that should be up by the time this podcast runs about the different ways that Cleveland and Toronto have gone about chasing the platoon advantage or not chasing it because Cleveland has had the platoon advantage more than any other team in baseball this year and Toronto is tied for second from the bottom. So the two approaches being either you fill your team with switch hitters and platoon a lot and try to get the most out of the hitters that you have. And the other option is just get the best hitters you have and say, screw it, they're going to hit everybody. And this shows up all over the place. You know, I think Cleveland's got the better bullpen. Toronto's got the deeper rotation, but they're both pretty good pitching staffs on balance. And they're one and two in the American League defensive efficiency this year. So I came away from this 2000 word story that it took all day to to physically write without a clear idea of which team is better. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it might come down to something as slim as Cleveland's going to get home field advantage in the decisive, if necessary, game seven. Yeah, I agree. This is very evenly matched and people have pointed out various edges that one team might have or another team might have. I know that August Fagerstrom wrote about how the Blue Jays pitchers haven't been great at holding runners or preventing steals this season and the Blue Jays outfielders are not blessed with great arms and The Indians are a team that is very set up to take advantage of that. They are a good base stealing team. They're a good base running team. So that will probably be a persistent storyline throughout this series, whether the Indians are testing the Blue Jays' arms and taking the extra base. And so that's a small edge for the Indians. And, you know, you can also look at how the Indians' offense, which was very good, succeeded this year. They were a really good breaking ball hitting team and not such a good fastball hitting team, as you know, Saris pointed out. And the Blue Jays are a pitching staff that does succeed with the fastball, a very good fastball pitching team, in their yeah. case, sinkers especially. So the Blue Jays are a staff that likes teams to hit the ball on the ground and The Indians are a a team that hits fly balls, so not a huge home run hitting team, but they do hit the ball in the air fairly often. So 
that's something that you'd think would kind of counteract the Blue Jays' advantage when you have a, a ground ball pitcher and a fly ball hitter. It tends to favor the hitter. But, you know, these are all small edges. And, and even then, they're generalities because Marco Stratus yeah. is extreme a, a fly ball pitcher, as you'll see, which sure. is something that I like a lot about the Blue Jays' rotation is they have that diversity of approaches between Estrada and, and someone like Stroman or Sanchez. Speaking of which, Aaron Sanchez is apparently pitching game four, uh, according to this thing I'm looking at right Right now, which seems strange to me. Yeah, he's listed as the game four probable starter by uh, MLB.com, which means you have to wait a while to see Aaron Sanchez. So they'll go and Estrada, and you can and only throw him once. first. Right. I would say that the rotation is still an edge, maybe the clearest edge in this series for Toronto, just because the Indians are down a couple really good arms, and it sounds like Danny Salazar won't even be available out of the bullpen here. So. They will have to make it work, which worked just fine for them in the first series. But, you know, they'll have to ride Kluber and hope that they get good work out of Tomlin and Clevenger. And I would say that the Blue Jays will probably have the pitching advantage in every game other than the Kluber games. Yeah, probably. So that definitely favors them. But as you mentioned, I mean, they're just two very evenly matched teams, very close in the season series, very close in overall run differential, very close defensively. So it's really too close to call. So that means the Blue Jays are going to win in five and three of those <laughs> wins are going to be by 10 runs or more or some, you know, something ridiculous Very possible. like that. Very it's, possible. I really don't remember a, as tidy a, a contrast in styles yeah. like this. Yeah. I mean, the offenses are, are both effective, but in different ways. So the Blue Jays hit for more power and... The Indians are are more of a, a speed-oriented team, but that's not to say that this is really just like all-or-nothing sluggers versus contact-heavy speedsters, because that's not really accurate either. The, the Blue Jays, they're not an extreme strikeout team. They strike out more than the Indians do. In general, I tend to favor the Blue Jays-style offense, I guess, overall, but even in the postseason, when a lot of people will say that teams that make more contact and, you know, can make things happen and manufacture runs and test the outfielders and all, all that sort of stylistic stuff. A lot of people will say that that works better in the postseason. I tend to believe the opposite. As we were just saying with Boog and as I wrote last week about the Blue Jays, it has historically been an advantage to be a more home run reliant team in the playoffs, which I think makes sense. It can be ugly if a team like that slumps in the playoffs because, you know, the stakes are just ratcheted up so high that I think fans just kind of want to see their players make contact and give them that little burst of hope when something potentially positive happens. Whereas if, if you're just swinging and missing over and over, nothing good can come of that. And you're just watching your outs ebb away and it's agonizing. But I think in the postseason, when teams generally allow lower batting averages on balls in play, as both of these teams did, because they're both good on defense and pitchers are good too, it's hard to string together rallies of exactly. singles and doubles. So you just want that big blast that you don't have to rely on a, a sequence of hits. You can just get one and hopefully have someone on for it. So. I would lean toward the Blue Jays, but I would lean almost imperceptibly. Yeah, that's probably where I am, too. You know, barring a, a plague of midges in, in games six and seven. <laughs> right. Do the midges favor one team over uh, another? Jonah Carey just posted a, a picture from his hotel room that said it talked about it was it had a, a plaque on the window that said, don't open your your window unless you want to invite the midges in. The midges are good for the city for X, Y and Z reasons, including they helped us win the or helped <laughs> us beat the Yankees in 2007. Yes. So. In that case, it favored the Indians. Yeah, if you could breed the midges to attack only visiting Ugh, teams, that Christ. would be more of an edge. <laughs> All right. We don't see a, a huge edge one way or another, which, at least in theory, means it should be a fun, even, long series. But who knows? It's baseball. Moving to the NL, we've talked about Clayton Kershaw's and Kenley Jansen's heroic efforts in Game 5 of the NLDS. That was wonderful, and it set up a classic signature moments and one of the best Dodgers game in decades. 
And the only problem with that is that it potentially handicaps the team to a certain extent in the NLCS. And this is not a matchup where you want to be handicapped because you are playing the Cubs. Somehow they managed to burn three potential game two starters in (laughs) in one game, uh, depending on on how aggressive you want to be with Kershaw. Kershaw seems to think uh, like if if that game wasn't so interesting, this would have been all I would have talked about is the Dodgers rotation seems to work by whoever wants the ball will just tell the media before they tell Dave Roberts. Exactly. And then, I was going to say, it doesn't matter how aggressive you want to be with Clayton Kershaw. It matters how aggressive Clayton Kershaw wants to be, apparently, because Dave Roberts said before yesterday's game that Kershaw was not available. And I think he was planning to proceed as if he was not available. And then Clayton Kershaw said, nope, I'm pitching. So and, it's really And Hill did that, to too. He, he just yeah. declared himself the Game 5 starter. And, right. and the, the reporters went and talked to Roberts. And there was like, well, you know, let's yeah. And sure enough, he started. So it's going to be Kershaw in game two, I imagine. I'd probably, I might be a little more gun shy about this than uh, Roberts is, but I don't know, I'd be inclined to, to start Ross Stripling and uh, push Kershaw back to game three, just because, I mean, that's, it's a, he's thrown a lot of pitches in, in the past 10 days. I know if I were, you know, obviously the situation is different, but like, you know, I'd, I'd get on a college coach for, for using him that much if he came out and threw, you know, 115 pitches in, in game two on, on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, Kershaw does seem to be uncommonly resilient in these short rest appearances, but of course you don't want to push him too hard. He's very valuable to your franchise. On the other hand, it's the NLCS. To say nothing of your, you still need eight more wins. Or yes, at best right. seven more wins after after game one. So mm-hmm. like you don't you don't want to wear him down to the nub before you even get to the World Series. Right. So you go with Maeda in game one and Saturday, and then presumably you bring back Kershaw, and then it's just do you want to play the rest of the series with everyone on short rest or as you said, do you want to go with Stripling, who is a serviceable starter? I was yeah. actually looking at um, – we're back to like where we were in June where I'm going through the, the Dodgers roster. I'm like, they they spent like half a billion dollars on starting pitching this year. Are they all hurt? And uh, <laughs> yeah, to some extent. Like, <laughs> right. Well, McCarthy's still – you know, McCarthy got lit up in his last start. You know, Kazmier's made – X starts in the past two months. Yeah, like, yeah Brett I guess. Anderson. Alex Wood. All, Wood mm-hmm. came back, but I don't know if they trusted him. He'd probably be on the roster. Like, I don't know if if there were such a – maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but if, if there were such a, a roster move to be made to get somebody maybe with a little more upside than Stripling for game two, like if, if you don't trust – Baez or Avalon in in that situation last night, then you know I don't know why you why you'd be shy about dumping one of the relievers that you clearly don't want to use in order to to buy a little bit more time for Kershaw and Hill to rest. Yeah, and it was fascinating to see Roberts adjust. You know, in Game Four, the complaint was that Roberts had gone to Baez and Avalon, and we've seen that script with the Dodgers in relief of Clayton Kershaw before, and it doesn't work out so well. And if you were willing to use Kershaw on short rest in that game and treat it as a do or die must win, then why would you not also be willing to bring in Kenley Jansen a couple innings earlier than you usually bring him in at the highest leverage moment of the game? And we saw him adjust appropriately, it seemed, in Game 5 and and not make that mistake again and bring in Jansen for his longest outing ever. We have really no way to say what the effects on Jansen will be because he has never done that before. So we didn't even mention in the ALCS segment we just did that Obviously, Terry Francona seems to have given the Indians an extra edge in his willingness to use Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, not only at the most opportune times, but just use them an awful lot and pitch them for a a much higher percentage of their... Allen Allen was gassing at the end of game three the way that almost as bad as Jansen was. Right. So, I mean, we've seen in the postseason so far, relievers pitch almost 45% of innings, which is just insane. I mean, this regular season, it was... Was, uh, around 37% and that was an all-time high and it's increased even further in the postseason and that's something that analysts have been recommending forever. Ride your bullpen, do all bullpen games, do unconventional things and, and now managers it seems like are finally falling in line with that idea and treating every game as a must win and it's working very well. You just don't know if there is a point at which it comes back to bite you. It stops working. There's plenty of baseball left to go here and so if these guys who are not accustomed to these sorts of workloads 
can't handle it over two seven game series, then maybe it, it stops being so effective at some point. We don't know exactly what the effect on Jansen will be, but even if the Dodgers were at full strength, this would be probably a, a series where you favor the Cubs. Yeah, we should probably mention the Cubs. <laughs> we could mention the, the Cubs. We're like 40 odd minutes into this podcast. Best at least. team in baseball. Yeah, you know, they're so like at this point. What what else are you gonna say? Like, God, I've written probably more about the Cubs than any other team this right. year, and they're the best team. They're probably gonna win. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a wrap. Yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, <laughs> really, that's that's not inaccurate. I think that. You could make a case that the Dodgers kind of play up in the postseason because, you know, this was like a, a pitching staff that was a cast of thousands during the regular season. And now it's compressed to this elite group where you're handing half your innings to Kershaw and Hill and Jansen. And then you have Maeda and you're you're not really giving garbage innings to, to anyone because there's no garbage left. So. I think in that sense, maybe the Dodgers disproportionately benefit from the playoff format yeah. more so than the Cubs do, but the Cubs are just overall so strong that I don't know that that erases their advantage. And even then, if they'd, if they'd set up to throw Kershaw and Hill twice each on full rest, yeah, then I might be a little more inclined to buy that. But there's just a lot of innings that I don't know, particularly early in the series, where I don't know where they're, they're going to come from. Yeah, I, I agree. Cubs have home field advantage. Cubs are the best defensive team we've seen possibly ever. <laughs> so... I don't know that there's any very salient point to make about how the teams match up against each other or, or any vulnerabilities that one might be able to exploit on the other's roster. It basically just comes down to the, the Cubs being the better team. It's uh, not complicated to analyze these things. doesn't mean that analysis works in October, but that's kind of how you have to come down, I think. Yeah. It's going to be fun. And the other thing about this series is that either outcome would be extremely interesting, I think. The Cubs, yeah. for obvious reasons, and the, the Dodgers, who, bizarre, like, it doesn't seem like it's been 28 years since they've won a World Series, but they haven't even gotten to a World Series since then, have they? No. Whoever comes out of these series, we're going to see a, a matchup between teams that haven't yeah. won in a while. The uh, the remaining team with the most recent World Series victory is uh, the Blue Jays, yeah. which... <laughs> That that their last World Series win is the first World Series I ever watched. Yeah, same goes for me, actually. I think we're almost exactly the same age, so that makes sense. So I think all the remaining teams play pretty compelling brands of baseball. So I think that MLB is fairly lucky in how the matchups have worked out from just a, an eyeballs perspective. But I think fans are, are lucky, too. We're going to see some good matchups. Yep. All right. So we will leave it there. Thanks, as always, for doing this with me. Well, I am obligated to do this with you, Ben. <laughs> That's true. But... <laughs> but I would do it out of the goodness of my heart if, uh, if I were not. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we will be back with another episode of The Ringer MLB Show next Tuesday. Bye.